Straight Iron made it no rock news. We don't need rock news. This is a special documentary on the 20th anniversary of Iron Maiden reuniting with Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith. Straight Iron Maiden. We don't even need all the music, guys. It's Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin, by the way. Thanks for joining us. Got to get that in there. But we don't even need all the music. We're, let's go straight into it, okay? Straight. Yeah, let's. Absolutely. I mean, just I've been in Iron Maiden uh, back in rotation now, and I'm so inspired by the fact that it's been 20 years since Bruce Dickinson came back. We've got to just talk all about that. So that's what we're doing. Getting right into it, ladies and gentlemen. The quickest opening segment ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. In 46, no, 50 seconds flat. I know we're a year off. No, I know we're technically a year off from the 20th anniversary of recorded Reunited Iron Maiden. I know, because Brave New World came out in 2000. So the 20th anniversary would obviously been, be next year. But I think it's important to realize that this is the, the 20th year of the band reuniting and, and really when they went off to do the work on what became Brave New World. It was um, you know really around this time or so, give or take a few months, uh, when, in 1999 when Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith came back to Iron Maiden. And I, it hit me... Uh, I was listening to Rock and Rio the other day, which I think is one of my favorite live recordings of Iron Maiden, really. One of my favorite live records, period. Um, just how well, the, the 250,000 screaming fans, how well it was recorded and produced. Just outstanding work. But, um, I, and, and I'm not claiming to be the first person to talk about this, the 20th anniversary of their reunion. Um, I just haven't really seen it in other places. I tweeted it out the other day, but I haven't really seen it anywhere else. So I'm not claiming here on uh, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin to really be the first person to talk about this. But it is something that, that I haven't seen. I, I, I will say I'm surprised I haven't seen more of this said. So we'll talk about every album that um, has come through with uh, really the seventh member of Iron Maiden, and that's not just Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith coming back and really making it six members, but it's Kevin Shirley, your caveman, the producer, um, who has a, a unique ability to create a big kind of uh, arena, not arena, but like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's kind of like the Hollywood Bowl, or sort of a auditorium, maybe sort of auditorium slash arena, like just a big wall of sound kind of thing, same kind of thing he did with Journey. I won't call it the wall of sound because it, you know, it's not a wall of sound, but it's he knows how to create a place for every musician uh, to be heard in their own integrity and, and, and their own brilliance. You know, nobody is muffled, at least in my opinion. Um, but you have to go back to, you know, Bruce Dickinson. Well, Adrian Smith leaves Iron Maiden in 1990. And Bruce Dickinson was already doing a solo thing while being a member of Iron Maiden. He did, you know, Tattooed Millionaire. He worked with Yannick Gers. Uh, or Gares, I've heard it two different ways, you know. I've heard it in two, you know. I, I've never heard, hear, heard him say his name, but I've heard it as, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll say Yannick. Um, we'll say Yannick. <laughs> but, um, and whenever someone says it in a British accent, they say it so fast that it's like, hmm, I, I didn't. One more time, please. <laughs> you know. So anyway, um, Yannick comes in and replaces Adrian. Uh, and then, um, and then 
1993, um, around that time, Bruce Dickinson leaves the band and they get Blaze Bailey. And I was really surprised by that choice because I, I remember when I first, and this was later when I heard the Blaze Bailey stuff, I just thought, wow, that, that really doesn't sound like Iron Maiden. I mean, maybe they were going for more of a flatter sound and basic kind of post-grunge type of feel, but he didn't have the range for the Bruce Dickinson stuff. And I'm surprised they did a full album, let alone um, two albums and, and, and multiple tours. I, I was really surprised by that. No disrespect to Blaze, but it just, you know, it was just the, the sense that I got. So 1999 comes around. So Bruce does, you know, by the way, works with Adrian Smith, two ex-Iron Maiden guys by the mid-1990s working on some songs together. Uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson did, um, you know, uh, uh, The Chemical Wedding and, and, and uh, you know, many other. He had some really cool songs like The Tower and, and uh, uh, Accident of Birth. I mean, songs that really had a, a unique edge. This producer, Roy Z, who's this phenomenal guitar player. Um, and I think he worked with Priest. Did he work with Priest? I've got to go back and check. I feel like he might have done something with, if not Priest, some of the guys in Priest. But anyway, um, that, that'll be a different topic for a different discussion. So 1999 comes around and, you know, the band decides, you know, things aren't working out with Blaze Bailey. Um, and my interpretation of, of this, uh, pardon the horn there, uh, as we come to you from our busy downtown studios here in Philadelphia, <laughs> where there's always something going on. Uh, and and uh, on the main strip downtown, and it's amazing. I mean, we... The way people drive, we're lucky we haven't had any accidents. Um, and I say that having heard a pop of some kind. I don't think, no, I don't think it was. I, it, I, I, sounds like everything's fine, hopefully. Anyway, uh, so we have this, um, you know, Steve Harris decides, uh, and Steve Harris, bass player, key songwriter, founder, the chief, the, it's his band, essentially. And uh, although they all get along swimmingly well it seems uh, you know you can tell that there's a great affinity for each other in, in all the interviews that these guys do and you don't get that in a lot of other bands which is probably why these bands done so well they've had the same um, manager for years too um, they've had the same manager since the beginning which is very rare for a lot of bands because uh, they all kind of started out together in a way you know it's very rare for a band that's been around as long as they have, you get like the Doc McGee's, the super charged, the big time managers who have, you know, he ran Bon Jovi and he ran Motley Crue and, and all of that. And you get, you know, you get, you know, uh, Irving Azoff's and you know, people like that who've managed some big time bands before doing other th big executive things in the industry. But um, it's it's really a, a rare thing for um, Iron Maiden to have the same person, Rod Smallwood, the, the same manager for all that time. Uh, so anyway, my account of, of how this is all going on is just from what I read, my interpretation of it was that Steve Harris was presented with the idea of Bruce Dickinson coming back into the fold and he kicked around the idea and said, well, you know, we worked, we worked well together before, so why not, why not do it again? You know, in fact, I believe that there's a quote that really documents that. I know there is. Um, I'm just paraphrasing it. But that's the general thought process that seemed to be going on at the time. So they, and Adrian Smith also comes back in. And what's really cool is that these guys were all such great, um, you know, friends or at least friendly with each other that Yannick stayed in the band. Yannick replaced Adrian, went on to have a great, greatly successful career with Iron Maiden um, since 1990, you know. And uh, 
you know, and and then, in fact, I think it was Dave Murray who had said, when, around the time they did Dance of Death, I remember looking at their website, and they had the uh, really cool bios, and, 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 and they all remembered each other very well. Like, they, they had, uh, what, I, what I mean by that is, the biographies of each band member was told, they were told by other members in the band, so this person would sort of discuss one other person, and, you know, like, and it was, um, I think this was Dave Murray, if memory serves me correctly here, and I'm just going again from memory from when I first saw this online, God, we're talking you know, 15 years ago, so, so, but anyway, it was him or somebody who said, you know, it it shows how great of a guy Yannick was that when, when Adrian first left Iron Maiden, uh, Yannick did not want Adrian to leave, you know, he didn't want him to leave the band, so it just shows, you know, here's Yannick who would have this opportunity to be an Iron Maiden, um, to be in a huge band, he didn't want Adrian to leave the group, you know. So anyway, Adrian does leave Yannick's in the band for, at that point, about 19 years. It's a pretty long time, right? Very long time. And then they say, well, let's keep Yannick. And Adrian comes back, and so they have three guitars, which is huge and really, really cool. The only criticism is the onstage antics. Some people have said... It's really one radio guy in particular, I think, who said this. There's, there's maybe some other people. There, other people have said this in the comments. If you go to like Blabbermouth or any article about Iron Maiden, and it's some people have said Yannick dances around too much, and the guitar tricks where he throws it around and plays it behind his back or whatever, spins the thing around. And as I'm emulating that, I'm bumping into one of my counsels here, and, and that's the noise you hear. <laughs> but um, he throws his that that guitar strap must be really tight on him. Uh, you know, because I mean, I, I remember times when I first started playing guitar, if I didn't have that guitar strap, if it wasn't fitted just perfectly, you know, the thing could fall off. But anyway, um, you, you have to have some really secured strapping to twirl that guitar, guitar around. And some people thought during the more serious Iron Maiden songs about war and religion or whatever, him doing that just wasn't very Iron Maiden, but it, it's him being him. And it does add something different. And, you know, if you're going to have the big Eddie coming around and marching and, you know, destroying everything on stage, then, you know, and, and, and even battling Yannick in some cases, that's always fun to watch. Um, you know, I, it does add a unique dynamic that I think fans, most fans appreciate or don't really mind. But so all three go in and all three guitar players and six people in the band. Now they go in and they do Brave New World. A lot of this is material left over from the Blaze Bailey sessions. Um and they put out a really clean sounding heart, more of a hard rock type of record. And some people, some critics actually slammed it when Brave New World came out. But I have to say, if you were like me and you happened to hear Rock and Rio first before the Brave New World stuff, because I, I, I got an Iron Maiden later. You know, I, I remember hearing The Wicker Man on the radio. I said, OK, that's a cool sort of hard rock song. And I heard it on the riff in Detroit. Um, but it was really when I got Brave, um, uh, Rock and Rio where I said, wow, you know, the title, I mean, songs like Brave New World, The Mercenary, I mean, these are really heavy at that point, brand new Iron Maiden songs that were really heavy, really chunky, and had a great live feel. Then I listened to the record, and I said, mmm, 
hmm, this is a little different. Now, the record's still great, but it has, like I said, more of, to me, more of a hard rock feel, but it, it really was, um, it was appropriate for the time, you know. I mean, you look at what Metallica did with the loads, you know, more of a stripped down kind of, or stripped down in terms of it wasn't true metal, 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 but it was, it was more of a hard rock type of record, hard rock feel. Uh, I still have gone on to really appreciate Brave New World, but when you see these guys, you know, at Rock and Rio and you hear them, I mean, holy crap, <laughs> you know, it is one of the most powerful blazing records ever, you know, um, live albums. And, and, and you see, you, you saw, you see how well these guys get on together and how great they are as a live unit. And you say, that's a live band, you know, and they're better than they've ever been live. Cause live after death is, is one of my favorite live records too. You know, it's, it's Dave Murray and Adrian Smith and, 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 you know, everything, you know, um, Nico had been in the band uh, for maybe about two years at that point, maybe not quite two years. And you saw, you know, what they were able to deliver then, which still, you know, ages like a fine wine. But Rock and Rio, I mean, that's, that's today's Iron Maiden, you know, with three guitars, with, you know, just a rich guitar tone and, and, and mostly strats on stage, you know. Uh, someone playing the keyboards in the background, but other than that, just a, 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 it's just a huge, huge sound. And every live record feels like it, it almost, since that time, almost every live record has felt like Rock and Rio or a snapshot of Rock and Rio, you know? Because you see what, what three guitars can do. I mean, this is a huge thing. You, you, you can't overlook this. You can't overlook. We, we got to stop for a minute and say, this is a huge thing for a band that had, a, you know, most bands either have a one guitar sound or a two guitar sound. Now, they'll do all kinds of multi-tracking in the studio. But live, it's either, you know, Motley Crue, one guitar, you know. Um, although, although maybe there's someone playing backstage and, you know, but largely a one guitar sound. Um, you know, Black Sabbath, there's one front and center Tony Iommi's guitar that you hear, although there's somebody playing backstage. It, it doesn't have the thickness and the fullness of two regular guitar members of the band, you know, versus like a, um, well, a Metallica or something like that, you know. Maybe it's just me. I, even, even when there's a backing guitar track live, to me there's still a difference when there's one guitar player in the band and live, you're going to most dominantly hear that guitar player more than anything else versus if there are two guitar players that are in the band, not one guy in the band and one guy, you know, playing off to the side, um, you know, everything's elevated and you hear those two as, as the signature unit versus one, uh, if that makes sense, you know. But then they added, but Iron Maiden added a third guitar. So that means that there's, there's, at any point during a solo, there's two rhythm guitars chugging along. And with a chorusy effect, holy, I mean, holy moly, it's, it's, it's just, it's like a whole new dynamic. It's, it's like 4K TV or something. It's like 5G cellular. I mean, it, it is just, it, it's, 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 it's high definition, 
You know, it's when Retina added Retina was added to the the iPad and 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 to the the Mac uh, books and everything. I mean, you you it's a huge difference, right? And then even when if there's two solos like you know Adrian during Adrian's solo on the Trooper, um, you know, we talked about this before. Yannick would play that solo. You know, whenever they'd play that song after Adrian left, so when Adrian came back. You know, from Rock and Rio onward, Adrian and Yannick are playing two versions of that solo. <laughs> and it's actually really cool. I mean, I dig it. Some fans don't like it because some fans think, you know, why? And, and they, they improvise a little bit of these solos. You know, no solo on every, every song is played exactly the same way with Maiden, whereas some other bands like Eddie Van Halen is pretty good at keeping things largely close to form on how it sounded on the record, at least in my opinion. Some guitar players are like that, very religious. You know, David Gilmour is, again, a, you know, somebody I think many people have said the same about. But it's different. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll tweak a little something. They might have a little drag the pick across the strings, you know, kind of create a different sound or add a little something different that you hear on one live version. Like the Trooper on Rock and Rio is different, a little different than the Trooper on um, Death on the Road live album, you know. But I like that because you can listen to the same song. I mean, there's like five different versions of The Trooper. And I love that. There's like, what, three different versions of Hallowed Be Thy Name. It's awesome. Um, you know, because you get to, you, you can have your favorite version of it. Um, and then kind of have an idea of what to expect and not to expect when you see them live. So that was really a unique dynamic. And then you go on to... Um, Sounds like we're we're uh, <laughs> in a war zone or something. No, we're not. We're in a downtown area. Um, shouldn't most people be at work anyway, folks? Instead of, you know, causing a ruckus on the streets. But that's rock and roll. <laughs> so anyway, so you you so then they they go straight into um, Dance of Death in two thousand and three. Now. This was a unique experience because when I was in college, um, I went to this thing in our dorm. Um, this is my like my sophomore year, and uh, there was a somebody was was giving away at this contest. They were giving away posters, and somebody had an Iron Maiden poster. I said, "Well, that's kind of cool." So I, I had a you know <laughs> an Iron Maiden poster in my dorm room, you know, and that's what. And, and a friend of mine on on the floor was a huge Iron Maiden fan, and so I went into his room one day. You know, people you'd walk through the hall, and people would have their doors open, you know, and you'd say, "Hey, what's going on?" Hey, his name was Chris, and I, and he was watching. I think it was a video for uh, Run to the Hills or something. It was some old Iron Maiden video, and I said, "Wow, that's really cool." And he got me into them, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, that's when I kind of backed into, you know, I heard, like I said, everybody heard Run of the Hills, I had heard The Wicker Man, I heard some key songs, but then I went back, got Rock and Rio, got Brave New World, and just went back, boom, 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 became a huge fan ever since. So they do Dance of Death, which has, uh, you know, Yannick, you could tell that he's doing more songwriting. He has a, I think it's sort of a staccato kind of style especially on the acoustic guitar but um you know you you really heard a different dynamic with his writing and how everybody at least i did i thought but um you get that record which um which has just a great i'm going back to make sure i don't miss anything from the notes put my glasses on here 
because we deal in facts, of course, not just uh, fandom, but facts. Uh, so yeah, it's Journeyman. Who's th this? Was the first um, full acoustic song, first full acoustic song that they ever did. Uh, and then you had, uh, you know, th th it, it was a very thematic album too, because you had the guys working. Uh, in, in you know working on songs that required a big stage presence, a big stage production, and that's exactly what they did. So Bruce Dickinson comes out and he's wearing all these different masks. I mean, it looks like a masquerade party, really, you know. But um, but the material was very serious, and and honestly, the costumes that he used really kind of matched the cover art of the Dance of Death album, which by the way had songs like Passchendaele, which was a song about a um, a, a Battle in the First World War, uh, you had, um, you know, Montsecure, you know, so songs that really dealt with the theme of war and sort of mystical spirits, kind of. I mean, that was the, you know, Dance of Death is this incredible story. It's really a brilliant story. If you listen to the song, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a spoken word story, but it changed, the pacing changes a little bit, the music, again, really matches with it perfectly. Um, so I really was a fan of that record and, and the stuff they did. Head in the Sand, uh, Face, excuse me, Face in the Sand. Um, Steve Harris does this thing on the bass that it just shows how versatile his playing is and really how, how versatile the bass is as a guitar, uh, as an instrument, as a, to these deep grooves and, and tones and a whole riff, you know, Songs like The Clairvoyant, he has a whole riff that starts it. You know, this is another one of those songs that has that special bass riff that uh, really makes that work. So uh, that, you know, in my view, is really one of the... the uh, it's, it's, it's a different record because the songs have a... You know, there isn't just one musical style on it. Everything, you know, the song, the album before that, Brave New World, everything kind of had the same feel to it. This was a little different. Um, some folksy elements even musically I dare say but it worked and it, and it was really brilliant so they go on uh, after that and they do Death on the Road the live album which I still think is a very strong record um, songs like Passchendaele performed live wow I mean it's you, you you I never saw that tour but listening to it I mean you you feel like you're there live and once you understand what rock and Rio does for you which it, it tells you how this band sounds with three outstanding guitars and that that m magical sort of melodic concoction they put together uh it you you see how that dynamic can work with other songs as well especially if the topics are a little bit more serious same thing with dance of death perform live too it's just it's absolutely outstanding. So uh, then you go into, that's 2003. So then you move on to uh, 2006. And this is where the band records, in my opinion, and I said this when this came out, one of the most important records of all time. I know how that sounds, but, and, and it didn't, you know, this was, a, it was, not a concept album, but it had the feel of it. It's called A Matter of Life and Death. And it, these songs are heavily involved with war and religion. 
you know, brighter than a thousand suns is, you know, it, it, the story of the atom bomb, you know, um, the law, uh, uh, these colors don't run, a song that any country, um, particularly I think the Allied forces, but any country sending men off to war, um, it has that patriotic, solemn feel, you know? Um, I mean, it's, somebody had put that video, there's a couple different versions of that video online, it's not an official, I don't think it's an official video, but somebody put um, Saving Private Ryan to it, and it's just, I mean, it's mind-blowing. It really is, to listen to that song, combined with any movie about war, and something that was so graphic, like Saving Private Ryan, you know, wow. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those songs that you can adapt to almost anything, uh, dealing with those themes, and it's very, very powerful. You can dedicate it to the military and veterans of any country, you know, uh, hopefully like-minded countries, you know, um, you know, democratic nations, of course. Um, but they, but A Matter of Life and Death uh, had their first uh, top 10, uh, uh, top 10 hit in the U.S. It was... The re- and this was the song that I, I said was heard on the radio, um, you know, one of the first new songs by Iron Maiden that I ever heard on the radio, The Reincarnation of Benjamin Brigg. And Steve Harris said you know, he wouldn't tell us who Benjamin Brigg was, you know, which I, it, it was, it, it's a haunting song. It's brilliant, but it's, it's haunting. And I remember hearing it on the rock radio station. It was at Z93 in Saginaw. And I said, wow, it's really, it was a shorter version, though. You got to listen to the full version of it. Um, but it was great to just hear new Iron Maiden on the radio. But that album, A Matter of Life and Death, they, they played this album uh, full in concert. I saw them at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and the only interruption was Nico breaking the bass drum, and they had to replace it. <laughs> but I watched videos from that concert, and I, I, was, I was like in the standing area. I was right in front of Yannick, and it was really cool because he was doing the jumping around, but it was so cool to, it was, to be up close like that. Um, but that was the type that they did the, the album in full and then they played some hits. They played like Hallowed Be Thy Name, I think. They played The Trooper. You know, they played four, three or four classic Maiden songs, you know, after the full A Matter of Life and Death set. But that was, that album to me, it's so serious that, you know, uh, there's songs that deal with birth, um, you know, the legacy on there, uh, you know, The Longest Day. The, it, it was the live performance was almost like an evening with Iron Maiden. It was it wasn't a right you know let's get crazy rock and roll show. It, the, the themes were so serious, and especially with everything going on in the world, you know Iraq at the time and you know Afghanistan, of course, still. Uh, it was it, it was something that that it just it it was it was a sobering. Um, thinking person's record, you know, and that's why I, I say not only in my opinion is that one of the most important records of all time because it, it, it really does, and, and, and I think history will show that. I've always believed that history will show that because, you know, if, for anybody who wants to hear music that has something to do with the hell of war, conquest, tremendous power, the power to destroy the world, um, you know, 
dictatorship, whatever, and then religion and war waged in the name of religion, you know, which in the name of numerous religions, you know, it's so powerful. I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that, um, what's unique about it is it applies to so many different situations, so many different conflicts, so many different national, international perspectives, you know, without getting into politics specifically. And, and, uh, that's what's to me, at least that's what strikes me as so brilliant about it. Um, I didn't know how they'd follow up with it, but then they put out um, The Final Frontier in 2010. I, Satellite 15, the first track, it's a really long track. It's, it's two parts, Satellite 15 and then The Final Frontier. And I love that. It's kind of more coming from a straight rock perspective. By the way, going back to A Matter of Life and Death, um, the cool thing about that album was the songs were, I mean, every song, every, you know, Almost every song, except for the first one, which felt more the most like a radio single, every song is very long. So you need to, to really be in a place where, like, if you're driving or if you can, it's, you have to have a podcast mentality for something like this. It's like NPR for heavy metal, okay? You got to have, you got to be able to take it in and, and really embrace it. You know, you can't just pop on a song and, you know while you're at the gym or I don't know, maybe at the gym, but like it's, it's, you got to find your, find a moment where you can embrace, open yourself up and let the, 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 the brilliance and let the music flow into you. You know, that's the, this kind of album. This isn't an album you, you put on when you're going for a run or you need something, you're doing a tough mutter or Spartan contest and you need some adrenaline. Maybe. Well, you know what? Maybe the long, maybe the, the war songs, maybe. Cause it's almost like, you know, I don't know. If it's quite like a war zone, I don't think it's fair to compare that to like, you know, the beaches of Normandy. I don't, I, you know, we want to respect all of that. So I, but anyway, you get the general idea. Um, but it's, it's, you need to open your mind and open yourself up to it. The Final Frontier, I, the, the big single off of it was El Dorado, which I think was the first one. I didn't get that one. It just didn't really, it was cool, but it didn't really do anything for me. I, I tried to listen to it more and more. That album was one that, that didn't really get me there, you know, except for Satellite 15, The Final Frontier. Get me there, meaning to where so many of their albums are. It's just a, you know, it's, it's, it, it has a consistent power behind it, you know, and immediately stands up on its, on its head, you know. Um, it, there, there's, uh, When the Wild One Blows... Uh, is one of the longer tracks. I think it's the last one on the record. Um, I think that one, I, I really think the first one, Satellite 15, or Satellite 15, The Final Frontier, and uh, When the Wild Wind Blows are t- two of the best songs on there. Um, there's another one that I, I can't really think of at the moment, but it's okay. Um, you know, b- uh, but it just, yeah, it it didn't really... It did well on the charts, uh, but it just, I don't know, it, 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 was, it was sort of inconsistent musically, and the band said they were experimenting with different you know, kind of styles, and I, I don't know, I just, there were some songs that were just a little too slow, and, um, and Dave Murray doesn't really have a lot of tracks on there, too. I, I just remember thinking, wow, he didn't really write a whole lot on it. 
and I, I particularly like his style of, of playing. And, and so that was, uh, it was a little bit underwhelming. Um, so then, um, a few years ago now, we moved to uh, the Book of Souls. Now, this, I don't know how Iron Maiden's ever going to top this record. Um, it's based in Mayan uh, cultural culture and, and uh, philosophy. Uh, the soul living on after the body dies, and it, there's, there's a lot of thematics in terms of that. Every song is an epic. I mean, you know, the, I read that the band members, almost all of them came in with material that was about an hour long, so they had all of this material to work with. And um, the Bruce Dickens, the epic on there is the, 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 probably the longest song in their catalog and really beats out Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner from Power Slave is uh, um, Empire of the Clouds which uh, it's, it's about 18 minutes, and, and you gotta, this is again, this is like, you have to listen to that with the approach of how you would listen to A Matter of Life and Death, which is you have to be somewhere where you can just, you're not busy, you're not distracted, and you can open yourself up to it. I listened to it when I was driving from Philadelphia back to Detroit for Thanksgiving, and wow, I mean, it just, and especially certain parts of the open road that I hit, just seem to go with the music and the crescendo of the guitars and um, but the, the piano work is is so splendid and and uh, you it's just one of those you know there's there's powerful if someone were to ask me I want a really powerful song to listen to what should I listen to I would say I, I would mention that one as one of the songs I might also mention a, a unique song Dolphins by Simple Minds which is there's a there's a, a high production high quality version of it on YouTube that's just like you know emotional brilliant sad I mean just so many emotions going on that's kind of the song uh, there's a, there's a song that was said to be about Robin Williams uh, Tears of a Clown I kind of uh, dedicated her talking about Robin Williams but um, you know the red and the black uh, the the, the the first song on there uh, was, uh, you know, it, it builds so well. Um, if eternity should fail, I mean, what a concept, you know, what an idea, what a concept, just wow, you know what I mean? So, and, and I will say that the live version of that record is good. Uh, I, I think the snare, I remember listening to If Eternity Should Fail, the live version. I felt Nico's snare was a little flat. I have to say, I felt like the snare drum was a little flat. What's really cool about that album, though, or at least the live performance, Yannick's playing a, 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 not just a Les Paul, he's playing an Epiphone Les Paul, which I thought was really unique because Epiphone, some people call them Epiphonies, like, you know, Les Paul, just a little guitar history. The Les Paul, designed by the guy who May, you know, got the electric guitar to be what it is, you know. Gibson chiefly makes the quote-unquote real Les Pauls, okay, whether it's the standard, 
later now the, the, tra the Les Paul traditional, the Les Paul classic, and of course the Les Paul customs, which is the home of the famous Black Beauty design and the Les Paul Supremes. There's a million different type of Les Pauls, including the Les Paul studio that they started building in 84. I had one of those. I loved it. It was still, it was a Les Paul, but it had, it was a little bit more stripped down version of it. Uh, but Epiphone has made, you know, you know, uh, someone who knew even more about guitars than me said to me one time, said Epiphone was the only company that Les Paul would allow to make a Les Paul in addition to Gibson, even though Gibson owns Epiphone, or at least did. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they still do. Um, and so I was, I was surprised. You'd think he'd come out with an actual Les Paul standard, you know, like a Gibson Les Paul, which Adrian would play sometimes. I was like, what? But I will say, I mean, I, I do like the, the headstock design of the uh, of the Epiphones. Again, they're a little cheaper. Um, some of the guys from Seven Dust would play Epiphones, and I thought, you know, it's cool to have a signature Epiphone guitar. Richie Faulkner from Priest has a signature Epiphone, and, and um, you know, any signature series guitar is going to be worth more, but the Epiphone versions, like the, the mahogany is not as rich as... Um, I say what Gibson makes. So it's a little different. The materials maybe not doesn't have quite the same quality, and and you know the name's a little. You know I think you're paying more for pure Gibson name when you're paying for a Gibson Les Paul as opposed to an Epiphone. But anyway, I was surprised to see him play that. But it's all about the comfort of the instrument. You can run any sound through a guitar. You know, yes, the wood matters. Yes, the the, the type of fretboard matters. You know, some people say a maple fretboard, you get a brighter sound on, say, like a, a, a Stratocaster with a maple fretboard versus a, a rosewood. But then other people say the opposite. But you can, you can get almost any kind of sound from it. Almost. So I, I, that was just sort of as a guitar player that was interesting to me to see. Like, he's got an Epiphone Les Paul. Like, that's different. Uh, especially for a guy who could probably afford every damn, you know, gold top and black beauty and, and, and heritage burst, you know, Les Paul that they make, you know, um, <laughs> you know, which are some of my dream guitars. But anyway, I always thought that was cool. So just a run through of, um, you know, and a celebration of Iron Maiden's uh, work, 20 years of great Iron Maiden. I'm going to listen to Dance of Death now. I'm going to go back and just make my own Spotify playlist. Thankfully, most of those, you know, Brave New World Onward albums are on there, uh, so I've got to get some errands done and go for a walk in the city, and I'm really looking forward to listening to that. So we celebrate and we pay tribute to the Iron Maiden Bruce Dickinson reunion, my friends, on Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. And, of course, we have to mention, and shame on me for apparently not being able to read my writing, uh, Bruce Dickinson's uh, throat cancer diagnosis during the... Book of Souls production, or around that time, you know, to have a a throat lump while he's singing and, and working, and then realizing, you know, he wasn't really feeling right, going to Google to look at his symptoms, and then going to the doctor, and subsequently finding out that he, he is battling this throat cancer situation, and his treatment, um, you know, he, he went through his treatment, and, and, you know, of course, the whole band just you can any person going through that you wonder just how nerve-wracking that can be um you know but uh, nico mcbrainett said in an interview that the way bruce handled that and, and him coming back and continuing on and continuing on and singing incredibly well every night that, that bruce dickinson is his hero nico mcbrain said and i have to admit after seeing the um 
you know, Book of Souls tour uh, after his cancer diagnosis and treatment, I was like, what? his voice is still there. You could tell he was breathing a little differently, but his voice was still there. And I, I what I mean by that is um, he was doing something, I think, uh, you know, it was there was a certain breathing treatment or something going on, but he was, um, you know, for preservation of his voice, but he was still there and spot on, and it was incredible. It really was. So, um, you know, my apologies for not uh, mentioning that sooner, but, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson continues to be there uh, every single night in his voice and absolutely outstanding and uh, have to, uh, you know, perhaps a great note to end that on, um, you know, with this, this series because, uh, you know, I'm going to be listening to all of those records all the way through and and uh i don't know about you but it's it's some of the best stuff they've ever done it's rock of nations with dave kinchin thanks so much for being with us on this show and uh the next show we will talk about uh the leonard skinnard uh adversities numerous adversities they faced and how they continued on a look at their career on the next show uh so bear with me on that but we were just so inspired by uh, the 20th anniversary of the Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson, Adrian Smith reunion that we had to do a whole show dedicated to that. Until next time, my friends, keep on rocking because it's just what we do. Mm-hmm.